how does Moses fit within the broader picture of Holy Scripture? The desire for spiritual growth through Christ-mindedness. Insights on biblically inspired faith consciousness and how the virtue of Christ helps us relate to the world around us. Welcome to the Spiritual Renewal Podcast with your host, George Vasquez. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God said of Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. It was a law. And we can see that the agreement was, be obedient and you'll live. Now, we fast forward to Noah and the ark. And with Noah, he says, build this ark and you will live. Be obedient and you will live. God wants us to know that his way is higher, that he gives us laws that are important to our well-being, in fact, to our very life. So we fast forward again to Moses, and then when we get to Moses, God says, follow these commands, and you'll do well, you'll live. And Moses, before even receiving the commands, had a really good picture of what that looked like. Now, let me go back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God said that there would be this enmity between the seed and that uh, eventually that one would be bruised in the head and the other would be bruised in the heel. The bruising of the heel is a reflection of Jesus going to the cross. Now, fast forward again to the time of Noah, and it was the bruising of the earth where many had to die, and God preserved life through the ark. Fast forward again, going up to the time of Moses when he was a baby. When Moses was a baby, he had to go in a little ark, and that ark is what saved him. So we see here what God is doing all along with man. The broader picture of what we're looking at has a lot to do with uh, Jesus. It's a pointing to Jesus. The uh, covenant in the Garden of Eden, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Moses. Now let's take a closer look at the covenant with Moses because it doesn't just stop right there at a little baby in an ark. No, Moses grows up and he becomes a man. Now Moses, with all of his education, is taking a little stroll out in Egypt and he sees a Hebrew slave being beat down by an Egyptian. And he wants to take the law into his own hands, and he executes judgment on that Egyptian. In fact, he kills him. And in a moment of embarrassment, he looks around to see what's going on, and 
what does he do? He tries to hide the body and hide the evidence. Uh, eventually, Moses is found out. Everybody learns about what he had done, and he is thrown out of Egypt to perish in the desert. Well, he makes his way to an area of Midian where he begins working as a shepherd. And one day he's out there and he's watching his sheep and uh, something catches his eye, a fire. Uh, he goes to investigate and lo and behold, what you have is a fire burning in a bush, but not burning the bush. Truly a miracle. But that doesn't stop there. All of a sudden, he gets a voice from the flames. The burning bush says, Moses, Moses. And Moses' attention was gathered. Well, as it turns out, God says to Moses from this burning bush, I want you to go back to Egypt. Now, there was an important purpose behind all of this. You see, the one true God, Yahweh, wanted Moses to go and plead with Pharaoh to let the people of Israel to go. Now, bear in mind, the reason for that was that the nation of Israel could worship the one true God in a manner that he prescribes. So Moses goes back to Egypt and he pleads with Pharaoh and we have several different plagues that occur and it doesn't stop right there. To break Pharaoh, the final plague, the tenth plague, was that unless he would allow the nation of Israel to leave Egypt, the firstborn of every Egyptian would die. Now, let's take a closer look at this particular plague. Because what we're talking about is that what God would do is send an angel of death down into the land of Egypt. And what was required of the Israelites is that they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it on the doorpost. Now, when the angel of death would come and see the blood of the lamb placed on the doorpost, he would pass over that home and the firstborn would not die. Now, that would mean that anyone who did not put the blood of the lamb upon the door, the threshold of their house, their firstborn would die. This included Pharaoh himself. So, because Pharaoh, being a pagan, could not believe that this, this plague would ever happen, even though he was warmed, his firstborn son died, and he caved in and he said, Go ahead, get out of here, Moses. Take your people with you. Go worship your God in the desert. Now, there's something significant about this particular incident. It's called the Passover. And it's one of the few celebrations, or many, one of the many celebrations, I should say, that uh, was instituted by God that was held very dearly to the nation of Israel. They celebrated this day every single year. Every year, from all those thousands of years ago, when it happened to Moses, even to this day, It's an amazing thing for 
you to witness what is known as the traditional Passover supper, which was instituted so many thousands of years ago. And even to today, we um, often put the label Easter on the Passover, but we do celebrate communion on the Lord's Day Resurrection Sunday. We're looking forward to celebrating communion. Keep that in mind. When we celebrate communion, we are partaking in a tradition that dates back to the time of Moses. We're celebrating the provision of God through the bread and life, which is represented by the wine. It is what is known as the sacrament of the church. Now, at the time of Easter, on Nisan 14th, by the Jewish calendar, which in the year uh, 2023 would fall upon April 9th on a Sunday, we call Resurrection Sunday because Jesus died on the Passover and he was resurrected three days later. And so we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus' death. But bear in mind, if we go back to the time of Jesus, that he was celebrating the Passover as well. As the uh, Jewish tradition would have it, there were parts of this Passover supper that we do not observe today in our time, but that Jesus certainly did when he celebrated the Passover supper. And if we take a closer look, and a person named Lisa Freeman uh, put together an article talking about the traditional Passover supper. Now, this is a tr- when I say traditional Passover supper, I'm talking about something very similar to the one that Jesus celebrated even the night of his arrest. An amazing thing. And um, what the Jewish tradition is, is that they prepare a particular uh, feast, but a very important part of that feast is what is known as the Seder plate. And what we're going to talk about is the Seder Passover and its various parts. There's about six different elements that are part of the traditional Seder plate. Now, why do I think this is relevant? Well, because even though there are Jews alive today celebrating the traditional Passover supper, many of these Jews do not believe in the Messiah, the risen Christ, Jesus himself. And they're still awaiting a Messiah. However, let me just uh, insert this important point. There are Jewish religious traditions being held by Messianic Jews. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jewish tradition that is held close to the heart by those who believe in Jesus Christ. These are known as Messianic Jews. And I've had the privilege of being able to go to a Messianic church myself. Very fascinating. 
lovely people, wonderful worship in the tradition of the Jewish service, a yarmulke or prayer shawl, um, but all believing in Jesus Christ. There's good reason for that. Now, if we just take a little uh, time to focus in on the traditional Seder plate, then we'll see the parts of it, how important they are to uh, pointing to Jesus Christ. It's full of rich symbolism. There's a tremendous amount of meaning in the Seder plate, and obviously its history dates way back to even the time of Moses. Um, of course, the, the uh, traditional meal, which included lamb, uh, is something that was instituted uh, religiously by the religious leaders of Jesus' time, and the meal was then uh, formalized uh, in a ritual-type tradition that centered around the Seder plate. Now, we know that there are plenty of new modern twists or traditions that were added in. Um, there are traditionally six main items that go on the Seder plate. And the way that the plate is arranged may differ between families. And each family may even have a slightly different interpretation of what the items on the Seder plate represent and their meaning. Um, for many Jews, the Seder plate uh, is designed to configure six items into six points, and many people believe that this is where you get the idea of the Jewish star. Uh, that might be just a fun fact, um, but the the main idea here is to recognize that um, it's set up as one common plate from which everyone eats from, and um, that there are certain common opinions as to what should be on that plate. And we're going to go through the, um, the six different items, and hopefully we'll be able to see how they connect with Jesus Christ. Okay, so one of the items that's on the Seder plate is the mayor. This is the bitter herb, and this is put on the plate, which is intended to remind the Jews of the bitterness of slavery their forefathers endured, that was endured during the exodus of Egypt. Now, um, this bitter herb is usually presented on the plate with horseradish. Now, what you do during the Seder meal is you take the mayor, and during the Seder, um, it's used a few different times. And first it gets dipped or mixed into some the corset, it's sometimes also made into small sandwiches with corset and matzo. Okay, now the corset, you're probably wondering what that is. That's another part of the Seder meal. We're going to talk more about that. Now, the second item that's on the Seder plate is the Zorah. 
Usually it's a roasted lamb shank. And the Zora is just to show um, how the lamb was sacrificed the night that the Jews left Egypt. So it's a very important representation, as you can probably guess, of Jesus Christ. There are some Jewish communities that use roasted chicken, uh, the neck in particular, but the word Zorah means arm. And people often say this item is also symbolizes the outstretched arm of God. Isn't that amazing? Now, the way you use the Zorah is that the shank bone is not eaten. Um, it's a bone, right? You, we're not going to eat bones. But it's used symbolically to represent the sacrifice of the lamb. Now, now let's get to the third item, which is the corset. I said mentioned earlier when we were talking about the mayor and how it might have been dipped in the corset uh, and eaten with some matzah, almost like a cracker sandwich. Um, the corset um, is meant to resemble the mortar and the brick made by the Jews when they were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. Some communities, uh, such as the Ashkenazi Jew, make it with apples, peanuts, and wine, or walnuts might have been substituted in there. Um, the Sardinic Jews often use figs and dates, which are more common than apples. So you can imagine the corset is kind of a sweet, Swedish sweet type of uh, paste. All right, now it's used uh, and eaten with the horseradish, and during some seders, it's turned into what is called Hillel's sandwich, put between two pieces of uh, matzo with uh, the mayor. All right, so now there is the chazret, and that's the fourth item on the seder plate. It's a a bitter item which is sometimes left on the Seder plate entirely. Uh, ro romaine lettuce often symbolizes the fact that the Jewish stay in Egypt began uh, soft and then it ended hard and bitter. So when you look at the two ends of a piece of lettuce, that's what you've got. The top part is the very soft part, which is not so bad. When you eat the very stem of the lettuce, as you know, it's slightly bitter. Um, the way they use the uh, kazret is that uh, the families will take it and the mayor interchangeably or even together, and sometimes the kazret is used in the sandwich like we talked about previously. Okay, now we come to the fifth item, which is the karpas. It's uh, represented with parsley on the plate, although some families used boiled potatoes. The karpas is a symbol of spring and new beginnings. Uh, it also symbolizes the initial flourishing of the Israelites during the first years in Egypt. Reminds me of the rebirth. 
Now here's how you eat the carpaz. You take a small piece of parsley and you dip it into salt water. Now this is to help remind the Jewish nation of the tears that were shed while they were slaves in Egypt. So that's a bitter herb, carpaz. Now the sixth item is the beletzcha. Now here's an interesting part of the meal. The uh, beletzcha is the part of the meal that is a roasted hard-boiled egg. I find this interesting because of the tradition of the egg hunt. And there is some uh, interesting studying that can be done uh, with regard to how this bietza was used during the Seder meal. Now, some families say it represents the pre-holiday offering. And it might be also said that the roundness of the egg represents the cycle of life. In other Jewish traditions, some say it's representative of new beginnings and hope. Now, it's, it's quite common for the egg to be left on the Seder plate and not be eaten. However, in some traditions, it's actually the first uh, thing that is presented to each person and eaten by dipping it in a bowl of salt water. Now, just as the Seder meal chronicalizes the uh, exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, the breaking of a bondage and the freeing of slaves, we do make those connections. At Set Free, we believe that Jesus Christ can break the chains that bind us to sin. And the Jewish Seder is a representation of everything that entails our salvation. There's the salvation of the Israelites from Pharaoh in Egypt in bondage and slavery. And there is our salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. So this Passover, I want to uh, remind us of that story that so well describes what Jesus Christ has done for us. He promises, just like he promised Moses, that the Israelites would be freed from Egypt and everything that they went through to get to the promised land. And that's really quite a goal. It's a beautiful story to illustrate our walk with God and how at one time we were in bondage to sin, but that Jesus Christ could free us from that bondage. Bondage, and that we recognize that the Lord promises his people that the, he will save them. He says, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll, flee, I'll free you from being slaves to them. And I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm with a mighty axe of judgment. Now, that phrase, with an outstretched arm, is repeated throughout the the Old Testament in connection with the Passover. And, and we should be remembering 
how it's no coincidence that the New Testament, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, had both arms stretched out from one nail to the next as he freed us from sin and brought us to salvation. So I just want to say happy Resurrection Sunday. God bless you and that his face would shine upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor George Benson. If you like the show, just include us in your feed. Subscribe and turn on notifications for updates. Visit us at virtueeffect.com. That virtue, no L, and effect, all one word, dot com.